You're listening to I Am a Pain Patient with Mary Ann. Hello, and welcome to I Am a Pain Patient with Mary Ann. Today, we are continuing our discussion on the power of vulnerability. And this is a difficult week for us. <laughs> Anyone traveling through something towards health and wellness knows that vulnerability feels scary and it is scary this week we've been revisiting concepts put forth by Brene Brown who wrote the book daring greatly and Brene Brown is a shame researcher and this book is about shame resilience and it's so enlivening <laughs> and it's such necessary information for we who dare to travel this road, accept our journey, accept our struggles, and look forward in hope that there's a health and wellness on the other side of this. Brene talks about shields common shields that people use against vulnerability. And it's important to shed light on those so that we understand some of our internal thinking around vulnerability and that will equip us to pivot our perspective, like we talked about last week, step into that vulnerability and allow it to transform us. That's the goal. So the first shield to vulnerability is called foreboding joy. In my story, I part of my journey was journeying through post-traumatic stress disorder. I still struggle from time to time with things like panic attacks or intrusive thoughts, um, but a lot of my symptoms around post-traumatic stress disorder um, originating around a car accident um, is for boredom joy. That, that idea that when you encounter a truly joyful moment in your life, your very next thought is that something terrible is going to happen. <sighs> um, and I mentioned intrusive thoughts, but a lot of times, like with that foreboding joy, we see an image vividly in the forefront of our mind of that terrible thing that could happen. <laughs> It's very easy for me when I'm driving. If I see someone make a poor decision or if I get startled by something or I hear a loud noise from a car, my gut <laughs> seizes up <laughs> and I can see the accident that never was. So like I follow through to conclusion, what if, what if, what if, this happened, that happened, that happened, and then I see the accident right in front of my eyes. <laughs> that never happened. And I have to lean into that and remind myself that I'm safe, <laughs> that the accident didn't happen, <laughs> and that intrusive thoughts happen, but you have to let them go. You have to let them go. And so the tool that Brene Brown puts forward when combating foreboding joy is gratitude. And gratitude is something that we need to practice. 
if we practice gratitude in times when our life feels whole, feels well, in times of peace, then in times of stress, we will have that tool available to us to help us back out of these foreboding joy, vivid flashbacks or flash forwards or imaginations that we conjure up. Brene also makes the point that in our culture, we have never had better access to disturbing images. The news, TV shows, what have you, it's everywhere. And so it's easy to like extrapolate and pull all that stuff together and imagine the worst case scenario. And so combating that, we have to pivot our mentality. We have to acknowledge that that's not reality, that's not our truth, and hold on to gratitude. I'm so grateful that, for instance, when I'm driving and I have an intrusive thought with <laughs> the outcome of traffic patterns, I'm so grateful that I am safe. I'm so grateful that I have the tools now to decompress from this moment. I'm so grateful that I'm not panicking. <laughs> it can be as little as that, like just, okay, self, self checklist. I'm grateful that. And if you have favorite things that you can be grateful for, that can be part of your grab bag that you pull forward. The next shield that she talks about is perfectionism. This is a huge struggle in our culture. And perfectionism is rooted in the lie that we need to earn approval. And that lie um, kind of rests in the idea of scarcity, that we are never enough. And that is a bold-faced lie. <laughs> you are enough. Your gifts and talents are enough. Your faults and failings are there. We have to acknowledge them, but you have gifts and talents as well. So the, com the, the way to combat perfectionism is through finding dignity in the work. I had a huge breakthrough in this when I rounded the corner and realized I needed to make some changes and combat my chronic pain life. So it was three years into living life with chronic pain and I finally was working with a primary care physician who was so generous in working with me and facing the problem with me shoulder to shoulder and helping me find the tools that would get me well. <laughs> and she connected me with a physical therapist. Um, and he, he was really who taught me pain science and illuminated my journey back to health and wellness. But in the midst of that, um, shortly after I had started seeing uh, my physical therapist, I remember having a moment. My spiritual director at the time had started me writing a journal because writing is a really powerful way for me to process life. And I was writing in the journal and thinking about pain and like living life in pain and how difficult that is. And then a light bulb went off. And I realized I am unique and unrepeatable. And that means that the way that I suffer 
the way that I endure pain is also unique and unrepeatable. And with that light bulb moment, I was reawakened to my own dignity. And I realized the great dignity of this work. And that whatever the days would bring, flares, migraines, nausea, fatigue, all those symptoms, I had the ability to suffer those symptoms as uniquely myself. And that one pivot allowed me to embrace my imperfections and consider them an honor. Something that allows me to step into this discomfort and really live it. The third tool is numbing. <laughs> and there's lots of ways to numb. If I say the word numbing and like something goes off in your head like, uh, then, you know, you know. <laughs> Those first three years that I was kind of um, in the midst of chronic pain and wasn't sharing that with anybody were some intense numbing years for me. Years. I mean, that just sounds crazy in my head right now when I'm saying that out loud. Years and years of numbing. <laughs> and that's almost a little scary because, like, I wasn't living my fullest life when I was numbing. For instance, like, I was really into Dancing with the Stars during my chronic pain journey. <laughs> and I would watch it every Monday night. Um, and dance around the kitchen a little bit, which is fun. Um, but like I, in my head, had routines that um, were built around the programs that were on TV at the time. And the things that I could search on my laptop, Facebook was not nearly as distracting as it is now, but like Facebook, what, is, what are other people up to? Um, imagining like my life in a better place. Um, but the way to combat numbing is to lean into discomfort, which sounds terrifying. <laughs> um, and I think the example that I'll offer here is I've never really been a dieter. I've never restricted, you know, calories or had a restricted diet. I've just like tried to make sustainable changes over time. And there was one point in my life where I was trying to adjust like my need to snack in between meals. Because <laughs> um, there's like a time when snacking is like part of your normal like growth curve when you're developing. And then there's a point where your metabolism slows down and you maybe don't need to snack all day long. And so I in my head was switching my, my view on snacks. And part of that was changing the way I viewed the discomfort of being hungry <laughs> or the thought that I was hungry. And I was retraining my body around my hunger cues. <laughs> like, okay, like this stretch right here, that's normal. That's not hunger, that's just 
digestion. <laughs> um, and that reframing of discomfort as something that will allow us to stretch past the things that are holding us back can really enliven that idea of leaning into discomfort. This fourth shield that Brene Brown brings up is actually something that really resonated with me as a pain patient. Viking or victim? And it's for you computer people out there, technicians, it reminds me of a computer. <laughs> Zeros and ones, on or off, <laughs> or I guess on is one. Um, so you're either a Viking who has that idea that they have to meet the threat of being victimized with aggression and dominance, or you're a victim. You're someone who's being taken advantage of. And when you are a chronic pain patient, when you do not understand the things that are going on in your body, when you feel like your body is out to get you, it is really easy to feel like a victim. <sighs> and that's scary. <laughs> it's scary to feel like a victim. Like everything in your life, including things going on in your body, are out to get you. <laughs> and it can be really easy to pivot into aggression over that. This is like a very obscure example that I'm going to give. But it's something that like vividly I remember still from middle school. Everybody goes through in middle school those cliques, those groups of friends who perhaps want to adjust <laughs> your ability to be yourself. Um, and kind of like, have you fit in <laughs> to this nice little box? Um, and I was going through that period where I was trying to figure out how I could fit in versus like accepting that I was worthy of belonging. And it's so funny because you look back on this stuff as an adult and you're like, oh, I wish I'd known then. Um, but I had a friend who had gone through similar things and it was a really hard day for me. Like I had just felt really like, like I had gone through a gauntlet and I was just down and sad and I was getting something out of my locker and this friend pops over and she says, Mary, like, I just wanted to reach out to you because like, I've been through what you're going through and I know it's hard. And I was so shocked by that. <laughs> and I got really defensive. <laughs> um, and I was kind of like rude to this friend, this sweet friend who was trying to toss me a lifeline, but I barked at her. And of course she was like, all right, then I, if that's how you feel, I'll just see you in class kind of a thing. Um, and what emotional maturity from that friend. Oh my goodness. I still remember that to this day. But that idea that like, okay, if I am either a victim or a Viking, then I'm going to be a Viking. I'm going to take this hammer up and I'm going to just be pounding my way through this. 
And the way that we can combat this idea of Viking or victim is redefining success. So with my chronic pain journey, I really felt like a victim <laughs> of my own body. And it was terrible. But the minute I redefined what success looked like, within that sphere, I made lots of progress. <laughs> so instead of viewing those things that I didn't understand going on in my body as things that were victimizing me, I redefined them. Okay. Yes, my neck hurts. Yes, I am fatigued. But I am showing up anyway. And the act of showing up anyway brings dignity to this work and allows me to be more myself. Over and over and over and over and over again, those internal monologues that combat these very real issues are necessary. So the fifth shield that she mentions um, in Daring Greatly, Brene Brown, is oversharing as a shield against vulnerability. So if I say the word oversharing, anyone and everyone has a memory of someone who's maybe an oversharer in their life where you get way too much information, way too many details, and... Every time you talk to them, it's about like, oh, my life is so terrible. This happened to me and then this and whatever it is. Um, but those people are using oversharing as a tool and as a shield against vulnerability. So they're being way too open, way too vulnerable. <laughs> and that act of being too open, like oversharing, not allowing yourself to build trust with people before you offer vulnerable moments like you're not really connecting with people you're just venting venting out your life into the abyss and you know that no one's going to respond <laughs> but you have that little sliver of hope that maybe they will <laughs> so the way to combat this is by setting boundaries around your vulnerability which I will reference you back to earlier this week when we talked about building trust. So set boundaries that allow you to build trust with people and that will allow you to cultivate true connections versus everybody knows everything and maybe I've got friends, I don't know. Um, so cultivate that true connection with people by setting boundaries. The sixth is cynicism and criticism. I, oh my gosh, cynicism is like, I'm like getting red in the face, I feel like, because that's me. I have this memory, um, my sister-in-law will laugh because I was at their house for Thanksgiving and we were watching the Thanksgiving parade. And as I'm watching these floats go by, I'm like, who signs up for these floats? like these singers or whatever. I'm like, it's the people who don't want to be with their families. And that was so cynical. And the very next float was a musician who had brought his family with him, including two little beautiful kids. And so my sister-in-law was just laughing at me <laughs> because she's like, honey, like you can't be this cynical. Like that's not real life. And that is the tool that we will use to combat 
cynicism and criticism is reality. So we need to insert reality checks. Okay, so you had a cynical comment there. Is that reality? Or like ask yourself, like, why am I being so critical? Is this reality or am I just trying to shield myself from connection? <laughs> um, if you have someone in your life who everything coming out of their mouth is a criticism of somebody else, oh, what a lonely existence. Because people who criticize everybody else push everybody else away. They want to just hover over their little treasure of I, I myself and I. <laughs> and nobody else is good enough. But that's that scarcity. That's that scarcity lie. And so stepping into that and doing a reality check. Okay, I heard what you said. That was kind of a critical comment. Can we talk about where that came from and can we insert the reality of that person? None of us know what another person is carrying. And to assume the worst about somebody else is to deprive them of their story. This great work is all geared towards each and every one of us owning our stories and allowing those stories to illuminate our lives and draw us forward into a bright future that includes our reality.